You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. So now, as I mentioned, the, the title of this message is Spare Me the Pep Talk. Now, you know, we, we've all heard of pep talk before, right? You know, maybe you're on a sales team and, and maybe you have a sales manager week after week who, who gives you a pep talk. Or maybe you've been on a sports team and, and you have a coach who, who gave you a pep talk. Now, one of my all-time favorite pep talk stories uh, comes from, comes from uh, uh, the 1902 Rose Bowl. Uh, really, it was the inaugural Rose Bowl. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was Michigan Wolverines uh, against Stanford, and, and they just pummeled them. And, and yet, really, it all started even before the game when, when head coach uh, Fielding Yost, or as he was nicknamed, Go Get Him Yost, and he earned that nickname, by the way, because, because of all of his inspirational speeches. And so he stood up and he gave this speech and then he wrapped up his speech and he says, now guys, this is the game of your life. And so on the count of three, I want you to go out there and win one for the glory of Michigan. And then he pointed to the doors behind him. And at that, one of the assistant coaches opened up those doors. And, 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 and the guys, they were just pumped up. They were just fired up. And so they marched through those doors. Really, they, they ran through those doors. But there was just one problem. The problem was that the assistant coach opened the wrong doors. The doors he opened did not lead to the football field. Rather, the doors he opened led to the Olympic pool. And suddenly, 13 starting players were neck deep in the Olympic pool, probably thinking, spare me the pep talk. So, listen, we live in a day where, 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 where people want, want an inspiring message that will make them feel good about the way they live. But listen, that's not the gospel message. The gospel is, is not a message that makes you feel good about the way you live. Rather, the gospel is a message that changes the way you live. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we, we need to keep in mind that, that the church in the ancient city of Corinth was a church that was filled with people who basically bought the world's message that, that said, you know what? You, you, you need to be progressive. You, you need to be tolerant. You know, you, the, the way you're going to reach these people today is, is you're not going to reach them with, with, with the offensive message of the cross. No, you, you need to change the message. You need to, you need to tweak the message. You, know, you need to give the people a pep talk. Hence the title of the message, Spare Me the Pep Talk. So now as we go back and look at the first five verses, we see that, that the Apostle Paul didn't come to inspire. Rather, Paul came to transform. He came to transform. And so again, verse 1, Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in, in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." And so we notice Paul, first of all, says that, that when he came to them, he did not come with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, if you're reading from the New King James, uh, then yours would say that he did not come to them in excellence of speech. So now, when we read those words, you know, we typically think that what it's saying is, is, is the idea of, 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 of being a dynamic public speaker, a gifted public speaker. You know, the, the kind of speaker who's able to captivate a crowd and, and, and move a crowd. And so we might read this and, and, and be tempted to think that Paul was defending himself for not being a dynamic speaker, for not being an, an entertaining speaker, for not being an inspirational speaker. But the problem that Paul's addressing here in chapter 2 was much deeper than that. 
You see, the problem was that this ancient city called Corinth was a Greek city that was entrenched with, with, with Greek philosophy. Now, as I mentioned last week, philosophy, that word, comes from two ancient Greek words. Uh, it, it's the Greek word phile and the Greek word sophia. Phile means love and sophia means wisdom. And so really, a philosopher is a lover of wisdom. But, but really, what they loved was the world's wisdom. Not, not, not God's wisdom, not biblical wisdom. They loved worldly wisdom. Now, among these ancient philosophers in Corinth uh, was, was basically the, the idea that, that truth is relative. The truth is relative. You know, the idea that, 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 you know, what might be true to me may not be true for you. And so therefore, I cannot impose my truth on you, nor can you impose your truth on me. And so there was kind of this idea that, that, that truth is relative. Now, one of the schools of, of philosophy in ancient Corinth was this group called the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans basically believed that, that happiness and, and pleasure were the chief goal of life. And so basically, the, the idea was, was, was they would say, you know, people are, are born with, with certain desires and, and certain inclinations. And, and so them acting on those desires, uh, them, them, you know, just gratifying those desires, that's just natural. They're just doing what comes natural to them. They, they're just doing what, what they were made to do, what they were born to do. You know, and, and so just because their desire may not be your desire, that doesn't mean that there's, that there's anything wrong with their desire, that, that there's anything sinful about their desire, you know, because, because they're just doing what they were made to do. So you can't judge them for that. You, you can't condemn them for doing what, what's natural for them to do. So that's kind of the prevailing thought in, in ancient Corinth at that time. Now, we also need to know that, that when Paul came to the city of Corinth, he basically came to the sin capital of the ancient world. I said before that this is a city that was, that was world famous for, for drunkenness and, and for sexual immorality. In fact, in, in chapter 6 later on, we see that, that sexual immorality also included homosexuality. And then, and then in chapter 11, we find it also includes gender dysphoria. And so they, they were world famous for all these things. And in fact, this was a, this was a city, the kind of place that, that, that when you came there, you came to a place that was known for, for being sophisticated, for, for being tolerant, for being accepting. The kind of place that said, listen, if, if you want to reach these kind of people, well, then you know what? You need to validate them. You need to validate their lifestyle. You need to validate what they're doing. You need to, to validate how they feel. You know, you can't marginalize them. You've got to validate them. I don't know about you, but... That basically sounds like pretty much every college campus you know, in the country right now. In fact, by the way, that, that's the reason I chose uh, this book. The reason I chose for us to go through 1 Corinthians is because of how relevant this book is to the days and times in which we're living. I mean, just name the topic. I mean, you know, whatever. You know, division, uh, d divorce, LGBTQ, progressivism. I mean, you name it, it's, it's in this book. It doesn't get more relevant than 1 Corinthians. And so... We see here that, that the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, despite the pressure that's put on him to, to conform to the philosophy of the day, we see that the Apostle Paul doesn't change his message to fit the culture. Rather, he, he preached a message that would one day change the culture. In fact, we see that in verse, in verse 4 when Paul says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, we're demonstration. It's an ancient Greek word that means legal proof. The kind of legal proof that could be presented in a court of law. You see, listen, the, the Apostle Paul wasn't giving a, a persuasive TED talk, okay? 
You, you know what a TED Talk is, right? We see these online. You know, a TED Talk is basically a, a, a motivational speech where, that, that's kind of given to inspire and to, and, and, to, and to educate, as they would call it, a global audience. And oftentimes these take place in a, in a business context or a technology context. But a couple years ago, 2020, uh, psychologist Madeline Vanderbergen, uh, she gave a TED Talk titled, Let's Be Mature About Pedophilia. And in, and in her TED Talk, she, she, she argued that, that pedophilia is simply a sexual orientation that people are born with. That it's just natural. They're just doing what feels natural for them to do. There's nothing wrong with it. They're just doing what's natural for them to do. It's, it, it, they can't choose to do it, and, 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 they, and they can't be changed. They're just doing what they were made to do. So she ended her, her speech on pedophilia by saying, stop the hate. Now listen, the Apostle Paul, when he came to Corinth, he was not giving a TED Talk. He was preaching the gospel. And he says the proof, the, the, the legal proof that could be entered into a court of law, the proof that his message really was from God was not that there were people who were inspired, but rather that there were people who were transformed. That, that hardcore sinners were now followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's goal wasn't to make people feel better about the way they were. Rather, his goal was, was to change who they were by the power of the gospel. In fact, in Paul's own words, later on in chapter 6, Paul goes to, to list many of the different lifestyles that the people in Corinth were living before they became Christians. All kinds of different lifestyles. We, we read drunkenness and, 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 and violence and, and sexual immorality and, and even homosexuality and, and all these different things, this thing and that thing and the other. And then Paul sums that whole list up by saying this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, and such were some of you. Notice past tense. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Paul didn't come to change a message to fit a culture. Paul preached a message that would transform a culture. And so now as we pick it up, in verses 6 through 11, we see that, that God has a secret and God has a plan. So verse 6 Paul says, yet uh, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it, it is not of the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Let's pause here. So now, the key word to notice here is the word secret. Now, some of your English translations might use the word mystery instead. It's the same word, secret or, or mystery. Really, what, what Paul's using is, is, was a Corinthian buzzword of the day. This is one of their words, a word, that, a word that the Corinthians used all the time. It was a Corinthian buzzword. It's the Greek word mysterion. It can be translated secret. It can be translated mystery. But this word, what it, what it spoke of were these secret societies in, in the city of Corinth, these, these mystery religions in the, in the city of Corinth that, that claimed that they had secret, hidden, mystical, spiritual knowledge that no one else had, that only those who had been initiated into their secret society only those who had been initiated into, into their mystery religion would have this knowledge. And so they had little rituals and, and symbols and ceremonies that outsiders wouldn't understand. And certainly, no one who was quote-unquote simple-minded would understand. Now listen, you have to understand that to the Greeks in those days, they viewed the Christians as simple-minded. Hey, don't tell me this isn't a relevant book. And so in a sense, Paul's making a play on words. 
He's, he's taking their buzzword, musterion, secret or, or mystery, and he's applying their word to God's people. Because listen to this. To the unbelieving world, that is to a non-Christian who watches you, quite frankly, you are a mystery to them. I mean, they look at you and, and they don't get you. They don't understand you. They're like, what in the world is wrong with you? I mean, they look at you and, and, and they scratch their heads. I mean, the, the very fact that, 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 you don't, that you don't need to go to happy hour to be happy. I mean, the very fact that, that you don't need to hop from one bed to another bed to another bed to find fulfillment. I mean, they, they don't get it. They, 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 you're a mystery to them. Or then again, maybe they look at you the same way they look at me. You know, uh, oftentimes I'll share my testimony with someone and share how I, how I grew up in 20 different foster homes and talk about the child abuse or how I was knifed when I was four years old or, or how my dad committed suicide or this thing or the other thing or the other thing. And, and inevitably, somebody almost always turns and says, you know, why aren't you more messed up? I mean, why are you so normal? Now, hey, listen, if you think I'm normal, you're really messed up. But maybe they look at you the same way. Listen, quite frankly, you are a mystery to them. Why? Because they don't understand the power of God. They don't understand the power of God that has changed your life, nor do they understand that that same power has the ability to change their life. It's a mystery to them. And so Paul, he continues in verse 8 and says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, what, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's heart, uh, thoughts except the, the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so Paul, he quotes and he says, For it's written, no, what no eye has seen, nor, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now listen, we often, when we hear those words, we often think that those words are talking about heaven. You know, the, the, that heaven is, is just something we can't even imagine. That it's just so glorious, it's beyond our imagination. You know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, uh, no one can even imagine the, 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 the glory of it. But the problem is, is that verse that we just read is not about heaven. In fact, that verse we're reading is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 64. And if you go back and read Isaiah chapter 64, you'll find out Isaiah 64 was not talking about heaven. Here's the context. Here's what's happening in, in Isaiah chapter 64. What was happening was that the nation of Israel at this point were, were, were in captivity to Babylon. They were slaves to the mighty empire of Babylon. And so they were, they were praying and they were crying out to God, begging God to deliver them and to, and to rescue them and to set them free from their slavery. But it seemed like the more they prayed, their prayers weren't being answered. In fact, they went decade after decade after decade and their prayers were not answered. In fact, their prayer to be set free would not be answered for 70 years, for seven decades. And so after a while, they're thinking, we're never going to be set free. And things are never going to change. It's always going to be this bad. It's always going to be this way. And so God uh, reassured them through the prophet Isaiah. And through the prophet Isaiah, he basically said, listen, God has a plan for you. 
God's saying, look, I, I, I know you're in captivity right now. I know you're in slavery right now, but it's not always going to be this way. I've got a plan for you, a wonderful plan for you. In fact, it's so wonderful for you that, 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 that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You cannot even imagine what I've got planned for you. And it might be bad now, but it's not always going to be this bad forever. I've got a plan for you. Listen, in the same way, can I say to you that, you know, some of you this past couple of years, maybe, maybe some of you have lost your jobs during COVID. Uh, or, or maybe you lost a family member during COVID. Or maybe you've lost your health during COVID. Maybe you caught it, and, and now you've got the long-term ramifications, something they're calling long haul. Or then again, listen, uh, some of you might be crumbling uh, under, under the strain, under the pressure uh, of a collapsing economy and, and rising inflation, and, and you can barely put food on your own table, let alone gas in your tank. And you're thinking, you know, how long is this going to go on? I mean, I mean, I don't know if I can take this much longer. I don't know if I can keep going like this. Can I say to you what Isaiah said to the people of Israel? Listen, God is not done with you. God has a plan for you. And it might be bad now, but it's not always going to be this way. God has a plan for you. It's like what, what, what you know, God told Habakkuk. You know, Habakkuk in the Old Testament, he's praying, and he's like, you know, God, what is your plan? You know, God, just, 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 just tell me what you're doing. And God answers and says, look, Habakkuk, even if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk's like, yeah, I would, I would definitely believe it. Just try me. Go ahead and tell me. Just tell me your plan. I swear I'll believe it. So God tells him, and Habakkuk's like, I can't believe it. Now, the plan in question here in, in chapter 2 of, 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 of 1 Corinthians, the plan that they're questioning that they can't believe was God's plan for salvation. The plan of how God would save the world. And so what the Greek people living in the city of Corinth, what they could not understand, what they couldn't even imagine, is it, 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 what didn't make any sense to them was how in the world would, would God save the world by coming to the world as a human being and then dying on a cross. And all you've got to do is have faith in him. All you've got to do is believe him. As far as they were concerned, that made no sense. It was absolutely foolish. They, they couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't understand it. That was the plan in question. So now as we pick it up in verses 12 and 13, we, 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 we see here the difference between the world's way of thinking versus God's way of thinking. The world's way of thinking versus God's way of thinking. Verse 12, Paul says, Now we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so Paul says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. Now, what was the spirit of the world back in the Apostle Paul's day? Well, the, the spirit of the world, if you would, was, was this prevailing thought, this, this, this philosophy that basically said that the only way to reach sophisticated people, these, these Greek people living in Corinth, the only way to reach them was to validate them, validate how they feel, validate how they, what they stand for, validate how they live. You know, don't marginalize them, you know, uh, uh, validate them, accept them, appreciate them. Uh, that was the message, you know, validate the, 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 the culture, Listen, I don't know about you, but, but 2,000 years later, things haven't changed all that much. 
listen, we are living in a day where, where there's a high emphasis on, on, on being progressive. There's a high emphasis on, on, on being accepting and being loving. There's a high emphasis on, 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 on social justice and, and on saving the environment. But you know what? There's, there's a low emphasis, in fact, almost no emphasis on, on, on sharing the gospel and saving the lost. In fact, a recent survey by the Barner Research Group found that more than 50% of Christian millennials uh, believe that it is wrong to evangelize, that it's wrong to share about Jesus to other people. It's okay to believe in Jesus yourself, just don't push your beliefs on someone else. In fact, a different survey reveals that 70% of Christians in America, now this is of all ages, 70% of Christians in, in America basically believe that it doesn't matter what you believe, you'll go to heaven as long as you're sincere. You can believe in Jesus or you can believe in Buddha or you can believe in Vishnu. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you, you can believe in the tooth fairy as long as you're sincere. But then again, that's why they would say that, that it's wrong for you to share your beliefs with someone else because their beliefs are just as valid as yours. So they believe in the tooth fairy. You believe in Jesus. You can't share Jesus with them because you're violating them. You, you, you're not accepting them. You're, 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 you're not being open to their beliefs. And so, so they say it's wrong to share your beliefs in this culture. Not only that, but studies reveal that, that Christians in America no longer believe in the Trinity. Christians in America no longer believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. And Christians in America no longer believe in the authority of the Scripture. In fact, one survey says that less than one out of four millennials and Generation Z believe in, in the sanctity of life. In other words, that life, even in the womb, is sacred. What, what I'm pointing out is, is that Christians in America right now no longer have what is called a biblical worldview. And so what the Apostle Paul needed the Corinthians to know, and in fact, frankly, what he needs us to know is that we have not been given the spirit of the world. We've been given the spirit of God, which means we need to view this world the way God views this world. Or as the Apostle Paul calls it at the end of this chapter, the mind of Christ. In fact, as we pick it up now in verses 14 through 16, we'll find out what that means, what it means to have the mind of Christ. And so in verse 14, Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for, for they are folly to him. And, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The, 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 the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There's a handful of things Paul says here. First of all, he says the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit. Uh, they're foolish or folly to him. Uh, and he's not able to understand because they're spiritually understood, spiritually discerned. You know, listen, you, you ever try to, to, to share your faith with, with like a coworker or a classmate? Ever, ever try to talk to a friend about Jesus? And, you know, and so you're trying to explain the Bible to them and, and you do everything you can to, to make it easy to understand. I mean, I mean it's, like, it's like no matter how simple you try to make it, in fact, you made it so simple, even a caveman could get it, and yet they don't get it. I mean, they look at you, and they look at you like, like, like you've got a third eye, like you're from a different planet. You made it as simple as possible, and they still don't get it. Why? Well, because the Bible says they're, they're spiritually blind. The Bible says they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. And so as it says here in, in chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, neither can he know them. They are spiritually discerned. Now, here's how the, the living Bible paraphrases that. 
The Living Bible says, but the man who isn't a Christian can't understand and accept uh, uh, these thoughts from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. So what is it saying? It's saying that, you know what? You cannot understand spiritual things until you become a spiritual person. Until you've been born again, and, and, until you've accepted Jesus, until the Holy Spirit's in you, then listen, this book to you is just a book. It's just words on a page. It's no different than a textbook, no different than a history book. Listen, think of it this way. If you want to understand the Word of God, then you need a personal relationship with the God of the Word. You need to know the author to know his word. You know, it reminds me of Pastor Chuck Smith. And by the way, if you wonder why I always tell a lot of Chuck Smith stories, it's because when I was in Bible college, Calvary Chapel Bible College, they, they forced us, I use that word literally, forced us to listen to every single Chuck Smith sermon. Now, this was back in, now young people, bear, bear with me. This was back in the day of something called an audio cassette tape. Google it. But it was also back in the day where, where you, know, you could play the tape at regular speed or you could play it at a little higher speed. So you can go from, from hearing, open your Bibles with me too, to all of a sudden, open your Bibles with me too, you know, just, you know, so you could play it a little faster. You can get through the semester a little quicker. <laughs> but Pastor Chuck, you know, he, he would tell this uh, story of, of, a, of, a, of a college student in the church who, who was taking a philosophy class and, and, and week after week, the professor of the philosophy class would always stand up and, and claim that he read the Bible all the way through cover to cover, that he studied the whole Bible, but he, he found it was, was filled with, with confusing contradictions. And he did this week after week, and finally the student couldn't take it any longer. And the student said, you know, sir, with, with all due respect, uh, can, can, can I just tell you that, 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 that the Bible is God's love letter to his children? It's God's love letter to those that he loves? And, and, and the fact that you're confused when you read it? Well, frankly, that's what you get for reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> and so Paul's saying, listen, the reason they don't understand it is because they, they're not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. And so they can't understand the Holy Spirit's words without the Holy Spirit to interpret it for them. But then he goes on in verse 16, he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Now at this point, Paul's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. Actually, he's paraphrasing. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, it says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? Some English translations say, have instructed him. And so, and so Isaiah's asking, who counsels God? Who, who instructs God? Who tells God what to do? Well, the answer to that question, if, if we're honest, is frankly, all of us do. <laughs> we all do. You know, maybe, maybe it's the person who, who's, you know, looking for a job and there's this perfect job opening and they're like, you know, Lord, you know, in Jesus' name, by the way, you know how much I need this job. I mean, Lord, you know how much this is going to bless my family. You know what this is going to do for me. You know, Lord, just give me this job. Or, you know, maybe it's the single person. You know, and, and they're like, you know, Lord, I just pray you bring someone in my life. You know, if it's a woman praying this, she might be like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't ask for a lot. My list isn't that long, you know, just, just maybe, maybe somebody who's tall, dark, and handsome, and, you know, and, and, and educated, and has a good solid career, makes bank, you know, and, and you know, and, and, you know, oh, yeah, and a good personality, and, and, and a great sense of humor. Oh, and, oh, yeah, and, and they got to be a Christian. They got to be saved. You know, or, or maybe the guy just prays and says, oh, she's just got to be a hottie. You know, just, they're just, you know. But let's face it, we, we tell God what to do all the time. 
Well, now, the problem with, with the Christians in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church, was much, much more than that. You, you see, their problem was that the, when, when they were saying that, that the message of the cross is foolish, that the message of the cross is offensive, and, and you can't win people with that kind of message. If you want to win these people, you've got to alter the message. You've got to change the message. In effect, they were instructing God. They're saying, hey, God, listen, your word is, is irrelevant. You, you, you can't reach people you, you, with, with this. You, this, this. This word is, is out of date. You can't reach modern people with that kind of message. Listen, if you want to reach these people, you've got to update the message. You've got to be with the times. You've you got to be relevant. You've you, you got to be sensitive to where people are today. And so in effect, they were counseling God. They were instructing God. And so when Paul says, who in, instructs God? The, 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 the answer to the question, it's kind of a rhetorical question. He's like, you, the Corinthians, you're all instructing God. But then he, he sums it up and says in verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Warren Wiersbe, in his, in his commentary on this, uh, gives a great definition. In fact, let me, let me put it up on the screen. Wiersbe says, to have the mind of Christ does not mean that, that, we, that we are all-knowing and that we can start playing God in other people's lives. No, to have the mind of Christ means that we see life through Jesus' point of view. We have his values and his desires. It means that we think God's way and not the world's way. And I talked about this in the, in, in the article that I just sent out this last Friday. Uh, you know, we talked about abortion, but in the article I did talk about having the mind of Christ. And really the idea is, is think of it this way. The idea is that the more you follow him, the more you start to think like him. The more you follow him, the more you start to think like him. You know, and uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the more you follow him, the more you start to think of him. Listen, the, the Bible talks about having the mind of Christ over and over. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So the Bible just expects that the longer you follow Jesus, the more you start to think like Jesus. You know, uh, the longer you follow him, the more you start to see sexuality the way God sees sexuality. Uh, his views about marriage become your views about marriage. His views about sanctity of life become your views about the sanctity of life. But how he sees the world becomes the way that you see the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The longer you walk with him, the more you read his word, the more your mind is being transformed. The more your mind is being renewed. Now, the problem with the Christians in, 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 in the town of Corinth is, is that these Corinthian Christians were still thinking with the mind of the world. They looked at the world with a worldly perspective. They're now Christians. They've been born again. They have the mind of Christ, but, but instead of using the mind of Christ to see the world, they're looking at it from the world's perspective. And, and as a result, they, they're, they're convinced that the way to reach this culture is that you have to change the message to fit the culture. And so Paul's reminding him, listen, he's like, you know what? You have the mind of Christ. Your mind has been transformed. Your mind has been renewed. He's reminding them, listen, the way you reach this culture is not by changing the message to fit the culture. Rather, it's preaching a message that will transform the culture. Listen, God doesn't need our counsel. We need his. God doesn't need our instruction. We need his instruction. 
So the most important thing is, is, is not for us to modify the message. No, the most important thing is for us to preach the message. Listen to this. The world doesn't need another TED talk. The world doesn't need another pep talk. The world does not need to be inspired. The world needs to be transformed. This world doesn't need to feel better about their sin. This world needs to be saved from their sin. I also shared this in, in, in last week's article. and It's about Billy Graham, and that's a dated reference. But listen, just because it happened in the 90s doesn't mean it didn't happen. But, but, but there was a time when Billy Graham came to Portland, Oregon to conduct an evangelistic crusade, and all these reporters gathered there, and, and, and they were asking him about, about Proposition 9, which was a bill that had to do with gay rights. Now, Billy Graham knew what his mission was. He knew why he had come to Portland. And so he, he answered them this, and I'll, I'll do the best I can to paint the picture. I'll even try to give you the, 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 the voice of Billy Graham. So he turned to the reporters and he said, I did not come to Oregon to talk about politics. I came to Oregon to talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my Billy Graham. But the point is that Billy Graham understood his mission and he stuck to his mission. Can I challenge you this morning to understand your mission and stick to your mission? What is our mission? Our mission is the great commission. When Jesus himself said in Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Listen, this world doesn't need us to change the message to fit the culture. This world needs a message that will transform the culture. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.